My name is Chad Cruiser. My wife is in the back. We've been sharing a seminar this week. Uh, we have a ministry called Anchor Point Films. We go around to archaeologists, historians, theologians, and scholars, and we make documentaries that give reasons to believe in the Bible, to believe in Jesus and the message we've been given. And um, the newest one we have done is on, uh, on the health message. It mixes together archaeologists, uh, histor- history, and cultures of longevity, of which one of them, you know, is a group of people here. And so it's been a real blessing, and I'm going to be sharing tonight, I was asked to share on the subject of, it's called No Longer Enslaved. No Longer Enslaved. But before we begin, I just ask that you'll bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us. Lord, I pray that we would be challenged, transformed by your word. Lord, we desperately need you. We need you to do something special. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be sent down. In the name of Jesus, amen. A number of years ago, uh, I went to a school called the Mission College. And while I was at the Mission College, um, in the pastoral course... Uh, one of the, yeah, he was actually my roommate, now that I think about it. One of the guys, who, he was, that I had, I was a roommate at different people at different times, but my roommate, um, I had a, I had a, we had Nick, I almost, I, I give nicknames to almost everybody I know. I nicknamed him T-Bone, and he had been a vegetarian his whole life, so the name didn't really apply to him very well, and I didn't really call him that very often, but I always have a nickname for almost everybody I know, and we'll just call him T-Bone because... I don't want to say his name, but um, he's from California, so I won't say his name. T-Bone, we'll stick with. But T-Bone, this vegetarian, raised an Adventist, uh, never, you know, lived, lived a, you know, pretty innocent life compared to what I was used to coming out, you know, from, from where I had come from, coming into the church. So he had lived a very simple life. And, uh, you know, when people are in school, whether it's academy, I, I didn't go to academy, but I'm, I'm sure things like this go on. People mess with each other sometimes while they're sleeping. Do they do those kind of things in academy? I'm sure they do, right? Well, I wasn't the one to do it because I'm not really that kind of person. Like, I wouldn't want somebody messing with me in my sleep, and so I wouldn't do it to somebody else. But one of the other, uh, you know, there's always somebody who's a little bit rascally, and one of the, one of the pastoral students, who was also one of the oldest pastoral students, uh, one of the young men, who happened to be my roommate, uh, was, you know, he came in on my roommate, T-Bone, and T-Bone began to speak in his sleep, talking in his sleep. You know, have you ever seen someone do that? It can be kind of, it can be kind of freaky when someone speaks in their sleep, you know? Um, and, and he began to speak in his sleep, and so then this other friend of ours, his name was Scott, Scott began to ask him questions while he was sleeping, trying to see what kind of information he could get out of a sleeping individual, right? So you don't want, you don't want Scott to be your roommate because Scott does these kind of things. And so, and so T-Bone is, is sleeping away and Scott starts to ask him questions. He wants to, you know, have some dirt on T-Bone. And so here's this guy, he's been a vegetarian his whole life. He said to him, hey T-Bone, this is one of the questions he asked. He said, have you ever eaten pork? Now keep in mind, this guy raised 
a Seventh-day Adventist, and if, if, if you haven't been around Adventists in your life, Adventists, uh, if, if m- many of them don't eat meat, but if they do eat meat, they don't eat unclean meats according to the biblical standard. And so he's asking him, he says, hey man, have you ever eaten pork? And this was the answer. In his sleep he said, bits and pieces. <laughs> and, and then after, after saying bits and pieces, he had, he had another question because that, that begged another question, right? Then he went on to ask the question, so why did you eat it? Did you eat it because you didn't know what it was or because you wanted to know what it tasted like? And in his sleep, he said, a little bit of both. <laughs> Is that possible to have a little bit of both, right? I mean, either you didn't know what it was or you wanted to know what it tasted like, right? You can't have a little bit of both of those, right? <laughs> I mean, if you thought it was chicken, you, did, you didn't wonder what pork tastes like, right? And so, you know, I, I think about that. And in his answer, in his sleep, and then when he woke up, uh, my friend Scott said to him, he told him this whole situation, and his response was, that's not true, I've never eaten it, I've never done that before. And, you know, so we'll never really know what the truth was behind that story. <laughs> we'll never really know. But here's the thing. So, for him it was a little bit of both. At least in his dream, that was the answer that came out of his mouth. It was a little bit of both. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, in our spiritual life, this week we've been, what, what's been the theme of this, of this, you know, lecture series we've been going through? Identity, right? Identity. And, you know, I think sometimes within the church, we like a little bit of both sometimes in our lives. We, we like to, even though you really can't have both, you can't. It doesn't really make sense to have both the world and the church, both the world and Christ, those two things really don't fit together. But sometimes we want them, and sometimes we even try to live it out that way. I think about a man in in the Bible, you may remember the story in John chapter 3. There was a man, a religious leader in the church by the name of Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus was a man who was very very religious, right? You know, it begins by saying there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. So here is a man that is a Pharisee, the strictest, one of the strictest groups of the Israelites. And this man, from an outward perspective, looked very, very religious. Yes or no? I mean, he looked it. He, he, he had the part down. He had the clothes. He wasn't just a Pharisee. This man was a part of the, of the Sanhedrin. So he was one of the ultimate rulers of Israel. He was one of the leaders of Israel. He looked religious, but in his life. So, so his identity from an outward perspective was very clearly religious, very clearly moral, upstanding. But then Jesus comes to him, Jesus comes to this man, and he, and he says these words that I guarantee pierced his very heart, went to the very core of his soul. He said, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. 
And here's a man, his identity was a leader in Israel, a faithful follower of God, yet in actuality, his life on the inside, he really actually somehow wanted a little bit of both, right? He wanted the all that went around, uh, the, the positive things that went around with the religious system that was given to Israel, but he also wanted whatever it was. We don't know exactly what it was that he wanted. We don't know. And maybe we don't know because we don't need to know. Because maybe this man could be a bit of a picture of all of us. We don't know exactly what part of the world he was still clinging to, but maybe you could put in whatever you're clinging to into the situation. Does that make sense? Like sometimes we, we could be in the church and we could, we know there's certain really good things about it. Like we like the fact that we're on, you know, CNN and National Geographic and all of these things because what do they say about us? I mean, if you watch those videos, they're nicer to us than we could actually sometimes be to ourselves. They're like, these people are amazing. I remember the interview with Anderson Cooper, and they have, you know, the guy from National Geographic there. What's his name again? Doesn't, what is it? Dan Buettner. Thank you. Dan Buettner. And, and, and they're talking about the Adventist and how they, they keep the Sabbath and they prescribe walks in nature and, and all these nice things. And many of them are vegetarian or even vegan. They're the longest living people in the world. And we like that, right? I mean, that's pretty cool. Like, it's nice to be that. But, but sometimes we like, you know, some of the aspects, but then there are certain aspects of the Bible that just annoy us by nature. Is that true? There, we sometimes come upon things in the Bible or maybe go beyond that. You're like, no, no, I'm cool with the Bible, but, you know, I get really annoyed with the spirit of prophecy. I'll bet every one of us has found something, if, you, if you've read it long enough, something that hits your heart and you're like, hmm. That's a little too far. That's fanatical, right? It's fanatical as long as I don't do it. If I, you know, like, I'm the balance. I am the one balanced Seventh-day Adventist. Did you know that? <laughs> you say, Chad, you're so full of yourself. No, no, no. I- I'm telling you that we all think that, right? Each one of us have discovered that there is one balanced person, and it is exactly where I am, right? <laughs> and I'm sure Nicodemus felt that way, don't you think? I think he probably felt that way. Like, he had arrived... But then he met who? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. He met Jesus, and Jesus revealed that there were parts of his life that hadn't been given to God. Jesus told him, you need to be what? Born again. You need to be born again. You know, the Bible says in in Romans chapter 6, in verse 6 in the English Standard Version, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I was asked here to speak on no longer being enslaved to sin. You see, the Bible talks about the fact that this body, the old man or the old person, as the newer translations might say. This, the old man is to be crucified. He's to be killed. And it says so that we get to the point that we're no longer enslaved to sin. Now, if we're no longer enslaved, that means we must have in the, ba- in the past been what? Slaves. So it seems like by nature we are enslaved to sin. You know, like it says there, same chapter, Romans six sixteen. Know, know ye not? What's it say about, it talks about the people. 
that are enslaved to sin. Turn there with me. I should know it. Shame on me. I know that verse, but it's slipping me right now. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Let's turn there. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Yes. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So you are either a slave, the King James uses the word servant, but the word is, it, it, it connotes more of being a bond servant or a, a, a closer to a slave. So uh, you are either a servant or a slave to sin or a servant or a slave to righteousness. And when you jump down ver- further into the chapter, into verse 22, it says, but now being made free from sin and become slaves of God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So now it talks about the fact that we go from being slaves of sin till we can actually be slaves of God or righteousness. Now think about that for a moment. This idea is, now you may think, I don't really want to be a slave to either side. Somebody might be saying, I don't want either. I'd rather be somewhere in the middle. Like, I don't, I don't want to be a slave to some devilish power, and I really don't feel like being a slave to God. I don't really feel like it. But the fact is, there isn't a third option. Does that make sense? There's only two options. But here's the thing. According to the Scriptures, God is the creator of all things. He's made all of us. He knows what we were designed for. Isaiah 43, verse 7 tells that we were created. Why? We were created for His glory. We were created to glorify God. Now, what is, what is glory? We know, I mean, we could go on and on into that, into the Old Testament, how glory is the character of God. Moses says, show me your glory, right? And then God reveals His character. And so the Bible tells us that we were created for God's glory, to reveal His character to the world, that we would show forth the identity of God to the world. This is what we are called to do. And so you say, well, I don't want to be a slave to sin, and maybe I don't really want to be a slave to God. But the thing is, to be a slave to God, strangely enough, is the only way to be set free. Did you know that? Like, what if you had a dad? What if your dad happened to be a billionaire? And he wanted you to be happy. And he wanted you to, to basically have the most fulfilling life possible. Well, you could shirk off your dad, and you could get rid of him. I don't care what he wants. I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. But most of us probably wouldn't mind if our dad were a billionaire, right, that really wanted us to just have happiness, right? But the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24, And the Lord God commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, just like we talked about earlier, that, that God actually wants us He calls us to do certain things for our good. He wants to set us free from sin for our own good, for our own joy, for our own happiness, so that we're transformed. You may have heard the story of the slave who was put up on the auction block in the United States years ago. He is brought there, and this man is is furious. He's saying, I don't care who buys me, I will never work for you. I would rather die than work and be a slave to any man. 
And so he is, he is totally he, belligerent. He will not have it. And they put him up on the auction block. And, and he was a strapping man. He was a very strong man. And so he's finally put up on the auction block. And as the bids begin to go back and forth between different people, this one man kept bidding higher and higher and higher. And finally he got to the point where he really, I mean, this was such a big, large man. He would make a, a great slave, it would seem. And so finally he, he bids and he just, he just spends a bunch of money for this man. And finally the gavel comes down, tsh, sold. And this man says, I don't care who I'm sold to. I will never work. You can kill me. I'll never work for you. He is taken in shackles. He is brought into a wagon and he is taken across town into the country onto this man's farm. And he's saying, I don't care what you think, man. You've wasted your money. I will never work for you. What a waste. And finally the man comes up. He takes and he unshackles the man. And he said, I bought you to set you free. You're welcome to go. And this man's face turned from anger to a look of just absolute love. And he said, sir, I'd be willing to serve you forever. And the reality is, is that love is the central thing that changes us from a life of sin. Because the fact is, we all have love. Every human being is loving at their core. You say, Chad, I think that kind of contradicts the Bible when it says in Romans 7, verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So how is it that we all have love? But the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, Actually, it's 1 John chapter 2. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, we do love by nature. The thing is, we just love the wrong things by nature. You understand what I'm saying? We love the world. And so God says, listen, by nature you are enslaved to sin. You are in bondage to sin, and you can't set yourself free. But then God says, I want to set you free. I want to change you. I want to give you victory. I'm going to give you four simple points on how to get to the point where you are no longer enslaved, that you are no longer enslaved. Now the first point is found in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 verse 3, and the Bible tells us, and this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome or grievous. King James says grievous, new translations say burdensome. Because people think, well, the commandments are a burden, and the commandments actually are a burden to the unconverted heart, to someone who's not been changed. To do God's will when you have not given your life to God in full love, it is an absolute burden. Meaning if you were raised in the church, you were told you need to do this, 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 and, and you just you think, man, I have to do all this stuff? I mean, the fact that we don't like the law is proof that we are unconverted. It's proof. And, and you think, well, this, this is not good, but the reality is we're, by nature, we're unconverted. By nature, we don't love the law of God. If you have your Bibles, look with me in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. We were in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7. No, we're going to go in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and it says in verse 7, 
Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So to those who have a carnal mind, they cannot do the will of God. It's impossible. And then it says in verse 8, So then they that are in the flesh can not, what? Please God. When you're in the flesh, you can't please God. And many of our friends in other denominations read these verses and they stop right there and they say, don't you see the Bible says that the carnal man can't keep the law of God. Human beings can never, ever keep the law of God. They just can't do it. We're totally depraved. But many people stop there and don't read the next verse. What does the next verse say? It says in verse 9, but you are not, what? in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God is dwelling in you. Now, if any man does, man does not have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So many people say, look, look, we're in the flesh. We're human beings. We can't keep the law of God. It's impossible. Paul said so. But then Paul says, you are not in the flesh, but you are now in the spirit. You've been changed. No, so get the idea. You were a slave to sin, But then through the cross of Christ, it says that we get to the point where we are now slaves to God, that God wants to give us the victory. He wants to transform us. And as I said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, and this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Here's the thing. You cannot keep the commandments of God without the love of God. So the first way, the, fir- the only way in, in totality to actually keep God's law is, number one, to love God with all your heart. That you actually get to the point where you truly love God with all your heart. You get to the point, just as it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And then it says, In these words which I command thee, this day shall be in your heart. Right? In your heart. And so God is saying, listen, if you're truly, this is the love of God. This is the love of God that you will keep his commandments. But his commandments are not a burden. They're actually a blessing to you. They are something that you actually enjoy to do if you truly have a love for God. So the first way to come from the point from being enslaved to finding victory, to being slaves to God, is number one, to have a love for God. And you can't even create that in your own heart. So the second point helps us actually to get to that point, to get to point number one. And we find this one, uh, we talked about it in our class earlier today, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, I love this passage because it's so simple. I really appreciate simple things in the Bible. And Peter was a man who was unconverted, who needed to also be born again. Jesus says when you are converted, this guy was walking for years with Jesus. You could say he was in the church. In essence, he was born in the church. But then he was a disciple of Jesus. But Jesus said when you are converted. So Peter later on at the cross had a conversion experience. He was changed. And what does he tell us? How, how does he tell us this experience happens? How, does, how are we actually born again? First Peter Chapter 1, we'll start in verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned, that means not fake, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. It says in verse 23, being born again, 
not of what? Corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the what? By the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Peter makes it so very simple. He says, listen, you need to be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to go from being a slave of sin to be a servant of God. And he says, you are born again by the what? By the word of God. It is the word of God. And I, I, I've shared time and again, just because it's part of my own experience, I was, I was going to, you know, a church where I was, you know, there was dancing and there was singing and I wasn't, wasn't raised an Adventist and all these things were going on and we were, we were just loving the music and all this stuff and, and it was just this, this emotional, just amazing, all these emotions were going on and, and as we were having this experience, I noticed that one of my friends, I could see it very clearly, when he was at church, it was like a high. Because, you know, the band was playing and the loud music and all these things. And so he was just like having a high at church. And I noticed uh, more in him than in myself, because a lot of times you notice things in other people more than in yourself. And so he, he is, uh, you know, he's just at, on a high at church. But then when he leaves church, progressively each day life just kind of tanks until he can get back to that experience of the music playing and the band and the, and the emotions and all these things. And I noticed something's not right about this. Something's not right about this. There has to be more to this. And so looking at it, I see it in somebody else better than I see it in myself. But one of the things we really didn't have, the church service each week, you had a really, really long uh, music service, and then we had a very little sermon, and I'm being about as honest as I can, it seemed like every single week it was like the exact same sermon. It was like the same words, and I even, I even remember, you know, some of them, what it was about every week, because it was like the same thing every week, just like a few minutes of somebody talking, saying almost the identical thing each week. And what it was, was we didn't have the Word of God. Not just, we, we didn't only not have it when it was preached from the service, I mean, there was a little bit of it there, but in our lives, we weren't daily spending time in the Word of God. So we were looking for an experience in something outward like music. Now, music can be a great blessing to us. It's not that music is innately evil. But we can look for that in the things of this world and say, no, this is the only way I have an experience with God with, with this, when music is playing or what have you. But the Bible says that we are born again by the Word of God. And so what happened was, I met an atheist, actually, yeah, we met at a coffee shop, and he challenged me because I had given my life to God by this point, wasn't an Adventist yet, and he said, so you're a Christian? I said, yes. He said, so uh, tell me the Ten Commandments. And I was like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, (laughs) you know, I, I, I couldn't tell him the commandment. I didn't know what the Ten Commandments were. I was ignorant. And he said, you are a Christian, you don't even know the Ten Commandments. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess that's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? And then he's like, so you're a Christian? I said, yes. He said, have you read the Bible through? And I was like, well, you know, no, I haven't, right? He said, why do you believe in a book you've never read? And, and I realized, yeah, this is ridiculous. And so, uh, but I'm so glad that that guy made me look like an utter fool. Because guess what I decided right after that? I am never going to have somebody do that to me again. I'm going to go home and start reading the Bible. So maybe out of pride, I read the Bible for the first time. But here's the thing. As I read the Bible for the first time, I didn't know what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, that you were born again by the Word of God. But as I was reading it, I began to have a change. 
My life began to transform. I was actually, the first time, you know, for months as I'm reading along, I'm chewing tobacco. I literally, I was in college, and I was, I was chewing tobacco, and uh, I, I would be studying, because I had to study about five hours every day while I was in school. I just had tons of homework. And so I would study like five hours, and I'd sit there with chewing tobacco in my mouth, and I was reading through the Bible. And I didn't see anything wrong with that. I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. I found out later the Bible says that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But I didn't know that. But as I'm reading it, changes began to take place in my life. I began to be transformed. And then a seminar came up about Bible prophecy. There was a young man speaking in my hometown. His name was David Asherick. And I went to the seminar and it totally changed my life. But it was through the process of God's Word. I was not born again, but I had a born-again experience as I was spending time in the Word of God. So the first way, the most important way, of getting to the point from going from a slave to the things of this world to a servant of God is, number one, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what is the key way to get to that point of being born again? is by spending time daily in the Word of God. You are born again by the Word of God. Now, the third way that we are to become servants of God rather than servants of sin, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 33. Isaiah chapter 33, you've probably seen this, maybe you haven't seen this passage. It's such an interesting concept here. Because it kind of says what you don't think it's going to say, or you think it's going to say something else, but it just doesn't. We're looking in Isaiah chapter 33, and let's begin in verse, verse 14. Verse 14 says, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrite. Now, the hypocrite is someone who looks like a follower of God, but it's just an actor, just, just showing kind of a facade. In reality, they're, they're in the world, but they look like they are a follower of God. They're a hypocrite. So it says in verse 14, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrite. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? So who's going to just live in the everlasting fire? That's good, man. You don't even have a Bible out. Praise the Lord, man. (laughs) That's right. Let's read it in in verse 15. It says, He that walketh righteously and speaks uprightly, he that despises the gain of oppression, that shakes his hand at the holding of bribes, that stops his ears from hearing of blood, and he shuts his eyes from seeing what? evil. Now, that, it's kind of strange because, you know, typically would think, who's going to be in the everlasting fire? And you're thinking like, the wicked, the evil, the bad ones, right? And then it says, no, no, no. The ones who can dwell eternally in the everlasting fire are righteous people, right? Because the book of Hebrews tells us our God is a consuming, consuming fire. And so if we are going to be with God forever, we need to be able to dwell in the everlasting burnings, the everlasting fire, right? And what it says is a couple things that you notice. There are several things, but two of them we're looking at. It says, he that shuts his ears, shuts his ears from what? Actually, yeah, from hearing bribes. Is that what it was? No, stops his ears from the hearing of blood. And then it says, he that shuts his eyes from seeing evil. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. 
Because we know, we have that old statement that the essence of it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 and 18. The essence there is that by beholding, we become changed. So the people who are going to make it in the everlasting fire are those who are stopping their, e- their eyes from seeing evil. They're closing their ears from bloodshed, right? They're not looking and listening to evil things. They're not beholding these things day by day. So the most important thing is to love God with all our hearts. That enables us to keep the commandments. Number two is to spend time in the Word of God. But number three is that we have to turn away from the things of this world. Whether it is music of the world. Whether it is, you know, uh, television and just trash things that we shouldn't. It doesn't mean you can't watch anything on television. But watching things that are against God's Word. The Bible says that His people will shut their eyes from seeing, what? Evil things. This is what it says. Psalms 101 verse 3 says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Psalm 101 verse 3. So God's people are going to stop looking at the things of this world and they're going to keep their eyes on God, right? Like Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 tells us. It talks just about that very thing, about basically looking at the good things of this world, the good things of God, rather than the evil. And so these are our beginning three things. Number one, love God with all your heart. That will enable you to keep the commandments. Number two was what? Reading the Word of God. That's right. Spending time daily in the Word of God. Number three is avoiding evil things, whether hearing or seeing or just, you know, constantly communing with evil. The fourth one is a little surprising, but Jesus experienced it. Adam and Eve fell because of it, and God is calling a last day people back to victory where Adam and Eve failed. Is that true? It has to do with what? The health message. Is that true? We're actually told that it is impossible to overcome in the last days without the health message. Did you know that? You know, it's so interesting, too, and I I shared this in uh, our lectures during the day um, in in our seminar. uh, I say our, my wife and I, the seminar we had and the group that was coming there. We talked about something very interesting, and it's now cutting-edge science. This is something that actually, when you read in the Spirit of Prophecy, for years people read, and I'm sure many of them thought, come on, she's going way, way too far. Now, obviously, if somebody just had pure faith, they wouldn't say that, but I'm sure many people did. And, and what she said was, she said that the majority of the problems in our church come from the stomach. Now, that just sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Like, come on, man. And, like, I got bigger issues. I got, there's bigger fish to fry than my stomach, right? Like, there's some serious issues, and that's not one of them, right? Now, think about it. Is that really a reality? This is actually cutting-edge science. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called now the science of the gut-brain connection, or they call it the gut-brain axis. And your gut is actually sending more information to your brain than your brain is to your gut. And if you cut the connection, if you cut the nerve that connects the brain to the gut, you know what happens? The gut still works without input from the brain, which is just fascinating. And here's the thing. And so psychologists are looking at this, and some of them are even beginning to believe that maybe the majority of psychological issues are actually starting out in the gut. 
I talked about some of the science behind that. You think, what? Come on, that, that just couldn't be. One of the things they've noticed is that uh, people who have a greater diversity of bacteria in their gut actually have different characters than those who have lesser. For instance, what they've noticed is that toddlers, specifically they discovered that toddlers who have a greater diversity of gut bacteria are more outgoing and more social than children who have a lower diversity of gut bacteria. Isn't that kind of weird? I mean, what would that have to do with anything, right? And so then they're trying to look, and so what this bacteria in the gut is, meaning these different kinds of bacteria, they call it our microbiome. Our microbiome. And it seems that it's healthier when you have a greater diversity, but certain foods, there's good bacteria in your gut, and there's bad bacteria in your gut. If you have more bad bacteria, it can cause issues, health issues. If you have, and it could cause mental disturbances. If you have more good bacteria, it can actually cause beneficial, uh, you know, in a beneficial life experience or social experiences like the babies. And so they're looking at these things and they're saying, well, what would be the best diet to have the best microbiome? Because what they've discovered is that there are certain things in the meat products that are inflammatory. And inflammation many times is associated with depression, negative mood. And they've come out and they've said, you know, uh, what they've said is they said, you know, we've discovered that basically a, a wide, meaning some, a, a diet with the greater diversity of plant food, and they specifically said a vegan diet is the best for the gut microbes. Isn't that kind of interesting? I mean, do you think, like, these great scientists of the world, they're like, hey, I wonder what Ellen White says about, you know, our health issues. That, that's not the issue. But the issue, she said these things 100 years ago, and it looked crazy. Didn't it? It looked crazy five minutes ago until I told you about the science, right? <laughs> I mean, we just think, come on, I mean, is this actually true? But the science is coming out. It is absolutely amazing what we're discovering. She said this, and this just sounds crazy. But she said, the food God gave Adam in his sinless state, is the best for keeping the body in a sinless state. Isn't that interesting? That's amazing. And once again, we think, oh, I got, I got bigger fish to fry. But I'll tell you, when I actually saw these things and just decided, you know, I'm just going to try it. When I began to cut out all the spicy food out of my diet, she said that you begin to cut that out and you notice you have more, less lust. I'll tell you from personal experience, I experienced it. I had less lust after I stopped eating all the spicy food. I'll just be very honest with you. My wife knows, I told her, and I'm just, just open and honest about it. She was right. I gave it a try. And, and the thing is, they're actually noticing, scientists have looked into spicy food in character. Now, once again, I, I don't know what caused them to do it. Actually, you know, people have looked at these ideas, and they noticed that you could notice character differences in people who enjoy spicy food. That spicy food eaters typically are more risk takers, they noticed. Now, that's kind of strange, right? Now, I'm not even telling you how you have to eat. But we've been told these things. You can do with it what you please. But the reality is, if you struggle with some things, it's, I want to tell you this. It's not like it's salvation by tofu. Right? Like, God won't say, good job, you know. You've stuck out the tofu for like 12 years, you know. You get to go to heaven now. No, it's not like that. You don't get to go to heaven because of the food you, uh, you avoided. But the point is this. It helps clear your mind that it makes you easier to overcome and stay connected to your Heavenly Father. Does that make sense? So it's not salvation by veganism or something like that. But the reality is, is science is day by day by day catching up 
with the message we've been given over a hundred years ago. Stuff that we were kind of embarrassed about, like, <laughs> yeah, I, w- I wish she didn't say that. You know, that looks kind of strange, you know. And then you're like, no, 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 she was actually, you know, 120 years before her time. Stuff that you would never imagine was actually true. And it changes people's lives. And here's the thing. I tried it and changed my life. I'm not saying I haven't, I haven't arrived, I haven't made it, I'm not sinless, not at all. But I'll tell you, it has made a difference in my life. It's made a difference in my marriage. Our marriage is better. My wife will tell you. I mean, it's been a blessing to me. And praise the Lord for that. And remember, God says he gave us all his commandments for our good. You see that? He's, and I'll tell you, listen, you think, oh, that's Chad. You know, he's just one of those fanatical people. He likes, he likes to eat plant food and that. Listen, when I became a Seventh-day Adventist in college, I had never had a salad in my entire life. Wow. Ever. I don't think, I cannot remember having lettuce one time in my entire life before becoming a Seventh-day Adventist. I was the most unlikely person to eat this way. I thought it was ridiculous, you know? Like you chuckle at those, chuckle at those, you know, bumper stickers like, ah, you know, something making fun like, save a cow, eat a vegetarian, you know, or something like that, you know? Like that would have been funny to me. And, and so I, I had no interest in this kind of, these kind of things whatsoever. But, you know, I thought about it, and I was like, I'll tell you, this, 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 uh, you know, people talk, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna say it. Like, I normally don't talk just, you know, Ellen White, Ellen White, Ellen White. But I'll tell you what, she said something that I thought was absolutely crazy, but it also made me think, what if it's true? It was so crazy. I didn't even accept her as a prophet at the time. I, you know, just become an Adventist for a few months now, and sure, I'm willing to read a little bit, but I'm not really digging the idea of this woman, and, and um, just to be honest with you, and somebody came up to me and they said, you know how like sometimes we like to get people like the hardest Ellen White quotes, like, how about that one? You know, take that, right? You new Adventist or whatever. And so, uh, so they, they come to me and they say, you know what Ellen White says? She says, the time will come where those who eat meat will go from walking with God to walking with him no more. And I'm like, I didn't say it, but I was like, What? But, but then in my head, I was like, that is so crazy. What if it's true? Yeah. You know, like, what if that's actually true? That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard, right? Well, what if it were actually true, you know? And here's the thing. You think, oh, so what God's saying is like, you know, meat, meat eaters are all wicked people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in the last days, temptation is going to be so amazingly difficult to handle, to overcome. That's right. That God is saying, listen, I want your body to work like it was supposed to work right in the very beginning. And if if your body is functioning properly with just the right nutrition, it doesn't mean God says, enter into the joy of the Lord, you you ate the right food. No, it means that it makes it easier for us to commune with our Heavenly Father. This is what He is saying. So when we look at all four of these things, when we look at what God has shared with us in His Bible— One of them is that, number one, we need to love God with all our heart. That's the first one. We started in, I think, the the most important order. The most important one is to love God with all our heart. And this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Number two is that we need to be spending time daily in the Word of God. Number three, we need to what? We need to avoid evil, right? Keep our eyes from the seeing of evil. Close our ears from the shedding of blood. 
And number four, we want to get back to the health message. Now, when I talk about the health message, it's not just eating. It's getting your exercise, drinking your water, getting out in the sunlight. It's, it's following these eight laws that God has given, not to be saved, but because it gives us a transformed life in the process. So God wants us to experience this. But the reality is, is we've all been enslaved, but it is a process of God freeing us, setting us free. You may have read the story. How many of you have either heard or read the story of the Pilgrim's Progress? Anybody? I share this story sometimes because it's just such a cool story. There's two versions of the Pilgrim's Progress. There's the original version that was originally written by Bunyan himself. And then because it's so old, it's in public domain. And so some Adventists kind of made an Adventist version out of it, right? So it's kind of the doctrinal ideas. Because in general, the, the original version is absolutely amazing. But there's, you know, State of the Dead's a little off and maybe Eternal Torment is a little off. But otherwise, it's amazing. Well, I've only gone through, I've gone through a little bit of the Adventist version, but I've, you know, been able to go through, actually had a, a CDs of the entire, uh, the, the original version. You know, it's in like, you know, Elizabethan English. And so uh, as, as I was going through, it tells a story of, now you may know, for those of you who don't know, it's a story, it's an allegory of a man by the name of Christian. And Christian, in the story, is the example of what a Christian goes through as they give their life to Christ. So Christian is on his way in the book to the celestial city. He's, and he has to go on this road. We could say it's a narrow road, and you have to stay on that road to get to the celestial city. But as he's on his way, there's all kinds of trials and tribulations, right? There's all kinds of things like, you know, he goes through depression, he goes through skeptics kind of, you know, like trying to t- turn him off of the path. And, and he runs into, you know, things that we don't believe in, hobgoblins and satyrs of the pit and, and all these scary things in the valley of the shadow of death. So he goes through all these kind of difficult trials. But one of the trials is he's actually going along. And you know, sometimes we discover that as we're trying to walk with God, sometimes the path gets a little difficult. So he's walking along and it's kind of uncomfortable. But then they notice that there's another path, you know? another path. And, and, and they're like, hey, there's another path right there. It, look, it's just right next to the good path, right? And, and they start walking on. They're like, oh, it's, this is nice, right? It's a little easier over here. And so they're walking along this other path. And it's right next to the, I mean, come on, you can see the other path. They're both right there, obviously. It couldn't be, you, you, you know, you, you're very close to the, the right path. So what they don't notice, though, is they walk further and further, but you know something that's right along, just the traje- trajectory is just a little off, and after a while, they're actually a long ways from the good path. And as they get further and further away, they start to get tired. And so what do they do? They do what people do when they're tired. They go to sleep. They took a nap, and the trouble is they woke up, and there was a giant there. And his name was Giant despair. And giant despair says, oh, you are, you know, trespassing on my property. You know, now you're going to, I'm going to throw you into my prison, you know. So now they're basically the slaves, that's probably not the right word, but they're the prisoners of giant despair. And you're probably thinking like, that doesn't really sound like that great of a book. But you read it and it's amazing. You're like, oh, this is great. Uh, But nevertheless, so now they're thrown into this prison and giant despair uh, he has a wife and so forth. And, and what giant despair comes and he like whips them on a daily basis. Like he's, he's beating them and, and the path seemed good as they were going that way. But now that they're enslaved and they can't get out, it's absolutely horrible. And so he's mocking them and, and beating them and whipping them on a daily basis. And life is just horrible. And Christian's there with his friend, I think Hopeful is his name. 
and Hopeful there's with him, and they're in prison, and, and this is just horrible, horrible. And even Hopeful, I mean, with a name like Hopeful, you're expecting this guy's pretty optimistic, right? But in prison, it's pretty rough, you know? Like, after torture for a while, even Hopeful gets less hopeful, you know? And what ends up happening is Christian is sitting there, and, and giant despair has ideas for them. So he's encouraging them, why don't you just kill yourself? Why would you go on like this? This life is horrible. Why don't you just end it? You know you're going to be here anyway, and I'm going to beat you every day. You're going to go through this depression every day of your life. Why don't you just end it off yourself? And this goes on day after day after day. One particular day, Christian comes to a conclusion he hadn't even thought about it. And he said this, Ah, what a fool am I, thus to lie in a stinking dungeon, when I might as well walk about at liberty. Why did he say that? He says, Ah, I have the key of promise. And he pulls out the key of promise. And he says, I am sure that this this key will unlock any lock in Doubting Castle. And so what does he do? He, uh, he goes up to the lock, and in the original language, he said he tried to turn it, and it turned damnable hard. You know, it's like very hard to turn. That's not cursing, really. It's just, you know, hard is, you know, really hard to open. And so, so he tries to open the door. Forgive me, I probably shouldn't even use these terms, but you get the idea. That's what the original says. So, so he tries, and he, he turns, and, uh, and it opens. And so he has this key of promise. He opens the door and, ha, huh, praise the Lord. He and his, his friend Hopeful, they jump up and they begin to run away. And then, and then as they're running away, giant despair is on their tail. This giant begins to come after them. Giant despair is after them. And as, as he's trying to catch them, you see, the trouble was that he, giant despair didn't do well in the sunlight, right? Giant despair doesn't, just like depression doesn't do real well in the sunlight, giant despair doesn't do well in the sunlight. You understand, right? You know, Bunyan was giving us these connections for us. And so, so they get away, they end up being saved. But what was it that saved them? It was the key of promise. We talked about that over and over, and you probably heard it over and over, but there's certain things that just need to be repeated a lot in our Christian walk. Because we can know these things, like, yeah, I've heard a sermon on Bible promises, but here's the thing. We're born again by the Word of God. We're changed by the Word of God as we read it, and as we claim the promises of God, as we spend time with God, and as you read the Word of God, at first you may be like, I've shared this with others before, that at first you may not even like the Word of God. But over time, we're born again by it. Did you ever hear, I don't even remember the guy's name, but he's this Adventist businessman. And he goes around, and as he's speaking to, you know, different businessmen, or he tells a story of he's sitting by a scientist on a plane, and he challenges the guy. The guy's not even a believer. And they get talking, and somehow the, 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 uh, the scientist begins to open up to this Adventist businessman, and they're talking with each other, and, and the, the businessman says to him, hey, listen, you know, he knows the guy doesn't believe in God, but he said, listen, I'm going to challenge you to do something. I will even, I'll even pay you to do it if it doesn't work. He said, I'm going to challenge you to go home and for the next 60 days, read the Bible for an hour every day. 
And this is some scientist who doesn't even believe in God. But the guy's having family issues. And he says, I'm going to challenge you to go home and, and talk to, uh, you're not talk, read the Bible an hour a day, 60 days. And he said, if nothing happens at the end of 60 days, you call me and I'll, I'll, I'll pay for every hour. You know, you, you give me your going rate for whatever you get paid per hour, and I will pay for all those 60 days. Now, many of you probably can't do that because you don't have money to be paying people out for things like that, right? But he did. And so, and so, so he said, listen, I'll, I'll just, I'll pay you. Well, the guy goes home, and what's he start doing? He starts reading the Bible. And guess what happens? The Bible says you are born again by the Word of God. You're born again by the Word of God. And so listen, if you're open, and you're willing to be changed, and you want to be changed, God wants to change you. Don't think he doesn't want to change you. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants to change you. He wants to bring you to the point. If you don't like the Bible right now, he's saying to you like Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to be changed. You need to be transformed. And listen, I don't think Jesus looked at Nicodemus like, man, you need to be born again. I think Jesus looked on him with eyes of compassion, eyes of love. And if you recognize, man, I don't love the word of God, it means you're unconverted. I'm not angry with you. I was unconverted. But Jesus wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. He wants us to be changed. So I want to challenge each and every one of you. Put God first in your life. Give your entire life to Him. Spend time daily in His Word. What's number three? Avoid the evil. And number four? Follow God's message. Give it a try. And I'm not saying you need to do it all overnight. That would be, I mean, that would have been horrible. I would have hated that. But if you, if you slowly make changes, start drinking your water. You can do that, right? Probably many of us need to drink more water. So drink some more water. Get a little exercise. Slowly try one thing after another. Find the blessings that God has in his health message. It's meant to make your body like a well-oiled machine, right? And by the way, you don't have to be as skinny as me to, to, to eat that way. I don't know if you heard, but this guy from, his name's Patrick Babomian. Guy over in Germany. Broke the world record. He was carrying over, over 1,200 pounds. It was like 1,255 pounds. He carried it for old, like 30-some feet. He dropped it and he yelled, vegan power. <laughs> the reality is you don't have to be all skinny to be a plant-based, right? You can, you can be big and strong too, you know? And so the point is this. God wants to change you and just try step by step. You're not going to love the Bible overnight if you don't like it tonight. But if you spend time tomorrow, the next day, the next day, you'll be like this this scientist who, if you're open to God's power. Now, if you read it just to prove it wrong, well, God can only do so much with that. He might still change your life. But if you're not open, he won't. But if you read it saying, God, I want it. I want this experience. I actually want to be changed. He wants to change you. Don't Don't ever doubt it. Go forward. God is calling you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you. Lord, we want to put you first. We realize we're not saved by outer externals. We're not saved by the way we eat. But it's interesting how much it can help us to overcome other areas of our life. It can help us overcome disease, but even this is not the most important thing. Lord, we want to be avoiding the world, but even just avoiding the world isn't the most important thing because dead bodies avoid the world. But it is living out your word with an absolute love, 
which is central. An absolute love for you that causes us to love those around us. We may sometimes get annoyed with the people in the church. The disciples sure did. But Lord, you're calling us to love you first and foremost. And instead of just being annoyed, you can actually turn it around that we actually love those around us. Lord, we need transformation. Each and every one of us, including myself. Father, if somebody here does not read your Bible, I pray that you would change them. Is there someone here this evening with all heads bowed and all eyes closed that you haven't been reading your Bible and the Holy Spirit is calling you to pick it up and and you want to take the challenge of reading the Bible every day for the next 60 days. You want to take that same challenge and you say, I don't even know if I could do it, but by God's help, I, I want to at least try to do it. Is there someone where while all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, you want to say, yeah, I want to try that. Would you raise your hand where you are just now? Father, you see the hands. I pray that we would be born again by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Father, that we would leave this place different than when we came. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.